Hello everyone again. This is Tweety Gamer. I have uh, been really enjoying doing this series and it's really great to see you guys in the comment section and also with your likes and subscribes. I can't tell you it's um, uh, very ingratiating and um, I um, am looking forward to making new content for you as well. So without further ado, here is part three of the Bloodborne kind of comprehensive off-the-hip analysis that I've been doing. Now part three, as you can see in the title, concerns the um, all the all-important aspect of immersion in games like um, like Bloodborne. Um, I touched on this in the first video by discussing a concept which I called the interactive nightmare which there are very few things in waking life or otherwise more immersive and more gripping than an actual nightmare and I don't know if there's even a, a word for it but it really if this is even a known field but um, Miyazaki feels like in the way that he makes his games he feels like like a scholar of nightmares a scholar of um, engaging his players in the same way that a nightmare would in the same way that an incredibly vivid and immersive dream would and um, it's you know it's discussed broadly in reviews and such which are more game and industry centric but that's something that goes beyond again I've that's what the theme of Tweety Gamer is it we talk about things here that go beyond just the superficial aspects and the, the the you know the frame of the framework of discussing games in those industry specific terms that's much looser here on Tweety Gamer and we discuss things in broader terms and 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 more niche terms that go into psychology and behavior and stuff like that so um I'm yeah that's I I basically have decided to uh, go further along with this angle because um, not only as a, as a thing that I just want to create for myself but something that I'm noticing that there are quite a few people out there who appreciate um, the channel and I'm gonna give a shout out to Trevor I can't remember his last name but he in the comment section of the first video pointed out that the soundtrack the main theme of Bloodborne is um, a very very similar to the 1992 Dracula the beginning soundtrack piece so I want to credit him for that and um, it, it adds another notch to the amount of references that Bloodborne is dropping um, again stuff that little trivia pieces that without this kind of community um, you know of everyone sort of honing in on the same media honing in on the same uh, vibe of uh, looking at these games and looking at games themselves but here discussing Bloodborne on a deeper level, on a more um, on a more intimate level, and having your eyes out and your ears out, ready and listening, and wanting to point out and um, discover these little interesting tidbits. Now, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but that's what it's definitely Tweety Gamer's cup of tea. So, very happy to um, to to know that there are people enjoying that and um, participating in that. So, thank you, Trevor. Now. Um, that was a sort of briefly touching on that first half of what this podcast will cover, um, which is immersion. The second half is going to be basically open speculation, uh, sort of based off the, the, the latest um, buzz that's been go that's been happening around Bloodborne, and Hidetaka has even described himself feeling quite nervous about, you know, uh, a lot of. Um, news outlets and journalistic outlets essentially putting this responsibility on Bloodborne for being the savior of the PS4 and, and so and so. He just wants to make something that he himself um, would enjoy playing and, and that he knows his staff and his friends would enjoy playing. And Yamigawa, I believe is the producer's name, just had an interview with I want to say Game Informer, but that's probably wrong. I'll find the correct interview and put it in the description and also annotate where I got it wrong, because I know I did. Um, and Yamigawa basically said that, through a translator, he said that he is amazed that, or rather very pleased to know and to, to, to notice that his team who developed the game over how many years and uh, months um, the ones who grueled over every asset, who, you know, designing every little thing and probably went insane in the process. If th those guys are enjoying it to no end and, and 
you know, it's 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 something that they're able to access as a brand new experience that's immersive and enjoyable. And and so his comment was, if that is how our team, who basically were sort of enslaved to the work environment, the very, I'll post some photos on this video just to show you from software's um, uh, from software studios. I believe it was yes, Dual Shockers. That's where these images come from. So credit to them for these. Um, that environment, you know, apart from a few little flourishes where there's books and there are um, other kinds of, uh, you know, inspiring um, objects like, you know, there are some blunderbusses, I think, which I'll, I'll show as well. It's a pretty, pretty um, sort of basic kind of workplace. You wouldn't imagine all this, all of these amazing titles to have come out of it, but that's literally what a, a games development studio looks like. It's, um, it's, it's a bunch of offices. It's a bunch of cubicles, and um, there's no different between all of them. And so it's always a little bit jarring to notice that no, this isn't some, um, this isn't some, you know, wonderland of, like, you know, architectural wonder. It's just it's an office, and these guys, um, you know, work their magic through these machines, you know, and definitely can't um, under you know, under-applaud them, that's not English, but definitely can't, um, you know, downplay how important and how, uh, how, how deserving of credit and, um, uh, and, uh, and congratulations um, that they deserve, this team, absolutely. Um, so, basically, yeah, I'll be going into that, so discussions on the early buzz and what that implies for the future. So, as we know, in this model of both game and the film industry and the series industry, when you hear producers always have their ear out for um, early buzz for their titles, and when that is starting to really take note, people um, are starting to, the word starting to spread for these titles and, and the anticipation, the hype and all that, a lot of the time the decision to greenlight a sequel, the decision to give the team to sort of the nod and the go-ahead to start thinking about a sequel and a franchise um, that tends to happen around about where we are now so a week or so before release you know a week and a little bit there's this magic window where the analytics are um, you know going like they're just like hawks just looking and, and analyzing and um, and so far it's been really good we've had a lot of traffic with bloodborne news and the excitement and the anticipation is is building and so nothing could be um, better for this game in terms of where it's poised to be ign just read an article about uh, the history of from software um, and where it discusses essentially this um, games development studio which uh, you know, went from very, very humble beginnings to um, to becoming this, what it's poised to become, as I think the IGN ref article refers to it as uh, becoming games development royalty or something, and, and really stepping up from what it used to be, you know, um, from software. So, um, and I, I, I would like to, you know, in my own, phrase it in my own terms, I wouldn't go as, you know, I wouldn't phrase it so kind of bombastically or grandiosely, the, the whole idea that they're becoming some superstar developer. From Software have always just been these grounded, like down-to-earth, honest-to-goodness games developers who just make, you know, very, very good games. Let's just put it that way, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, that's going to comprise the second section. So, for the third and last time, uh, for without further ado, um, this is, yeah, our third Tweety cast together. So, now, I was thinking of beginning on the subject of immersion. Last podcast, I used the vignette of the Cleric Beast battle to sort of launch off of to describe um, some of the setting and some of the story speculation, but I'll use another vignette for immersion here, and I... Um, feel like I should divvy it up between the latest trailer, which is, I think, I'll play some clips as I'm describing this, the um, trailer where the Doctor is describing Yarnum and being the Blood Ministration, and uh, sort of it being the, the, the town of Blood Ministration, and now you need some Yarnum blood, that, that trailer there. I'll put a link to the description in that. So between that trailer, which has several shots, which I want to um, elaborate on and um, give some commentary to, um, and also the latest released screenshots. Now, um, 
I might even start with those first. So, as you've been able to tell, and I'll have obviously a lot of these new screenshots running in the video, they won't obviously be as high resolution as the ones that have come in the previous videos, but um, nevertheless, it's it's worth it's worth putting them in a great slideshow where all of you you guys can can have a good look in case you haven't, and it's a good. That's also what Tweety Gamer, um, uh, you know, aims to be. Is, is sort of like a gazette. You know, it, it uh, gathers all the news, um, or a, a good section of it, as sort of curated by me and sort of put into these videos, so that you can kind of get these hour-long chunks. Not all the videos on Tweety Gamer will be hour-long, but um, so for these podcasts, though, for the Tweety Cast, they'll generally aim to be essentially hour-long, um, uh, sort of. The idea is so that you're listening to it and you're essentially absorbing um, quite a lot of news in one package and um, the media and the video that I play in the background sort of uh, hopes to enhance that. And as you'll notice from this video, I've put a bit of um, music in the background. That's Alex Rowe, his Born in Blood album, which I'll put a link to the description in the description down below. Uh, a, a really masterful, um, you know, uh, independently made Bloodborne inspired soundtrack, which I think it, it ranks right up there with the soundtrack of Medieval, which is to me the best video game soundtrack. And um, I, it's very hard to find the MP3s of it, and I've, uh, I've managed to to rustle up some of them uh, around the web. You know, you can find on YouTube videos and such. But um, uh, incredibly, incredibly uh, well made and, and well produced, and there's a lot of passion and, that's gone into it. I can see. I'm greatly looking forward to obviously the um, the main, uh, the main, the true sort of the, the game's actual soundtrack when that releases. I'm not sure if it's included in the Nightmare Edition, but um, I'm sure it'll pop up somewhere, and that'll be really good to both listen to and to um, uh, you know. Um, I was thinking of, of featuring a few tracks here, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out with copyright and such. So, um, now, these screenshots, there are obviously, and this is sending a lot of people much, much higher on the hype scale, <laughs> the weapons. There are some completely brand new weapons that there are a few that are even baffling uh, people in comment sections. There's a very harpoon-looking one, which... Um, I'll have up here while I'm talking about it here. The design is uh, incredibly intriguing. It either looks like a harpoon or some kind of drill, you know, some kind of gothic steampunk drill of some kind. It's, or it could just be a sword or something. And it's incredibly evocative and and it just that that really you know uh, you know speaks of what Bloodborne is doing from a design point of view. Just from a design point of view, let alone the narrative. Uh, to create intrigue and to create, um, you know, uh, something just special and different, you know, and, and kind of daring, you know, uh, swords and sorcery are what they are, and they're, you know, well-worn uh, designs, and, and it's very hard to riff off the shape of a sword uh, to an extent, and, and Bloodborne by opening up into firearms, and and it seems like a lot of fashion as well, uh, which I'll, I'll touch on soon, but by opening up into that uh, for, vi for variety's sake and for immersion's sake, because, um, you know, part of immersion is to, is to tailor your main character into how you, to some extent, would, I guess, uh, in some sense, you'd, it's how you would dress, you know, it's just customizing your character aids immersion, it's, um, it's a pretty well-known fact. Uh, from obviously going to the first-person route, but uh, I'd argue that there are many third-person uh, titles that are more immersive than some first-person ones, So, but we'll probably discuss that in a separate video. My favorite, I would have to say, uh, of all the new designs for the trench coat, which I'm sure uh, Bloodborne will reveal itself to be much, much more customizable than what has been revealed so far. Um, it seems as though the main character design is generally just riffing off the sort of archetypical, uh, iconic, sort of trademark mascot of Bloodborne, which is the Hunter, that basic template, uh, which I believe there are two variants of that are most common one is the, um, the Hunter, uh, as shown in the Bloodborne poster which is without the back cape 
um, and I think with slightly um, sort of tough, more form-fitting clothing. Then you also have the classic, which I believe is is um, it's my favorite so far of the revealed uh, designs as part of the marketing. It's the the one with the back cape that uh, absolutely with the the, the the multiple collars and and with the the cape all the way up to the nose and the silver hair and the the uh, that uh, I feel is even even better than the um, the one as 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 shown on the cover. Um, so basically, yeah. Um, and uh, the the thing that I the thing that I find most intriguing um, about the you know the way that the the sort of fashion born thing has been happening, uh, I'm I'm actually finding it to be. Uh, something, something that was very, um, something that was quite unexpected, and um, uh, I, I've seen it in the comments section actually, uh, and and um, one thing that I've, what I've, what I've noticed is um, when you are going through this kind of quite terrifying, quite. Uh, um, you know, nightmarish sort of game, and we, we're noticing these comments that are like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to wear in Yanam. It's just a, a great juxtaposition. So, yeah, um, I think I should give a shout out to that. And, um, um, but anyway, that's, um, that's something that we can explore a little bit more further down the line. So, now, uh, let me just make sure that I have all of my reference images because now, as I mentioned in the first video, um, developing the structure of the podcast has sort of seen me determine some aspects that I haven't received much specific feedback about it, but just something that I've intuited um, uh, is that with a few reference images, instead of entirely going off the cuff, um, it's good to... Um, have a little bit of structure so I have a few images in front of me and just sort of arranging that now on my computer to make sure I can um, discuss the exact frames and, and sort of show them at the same time as me talking um, during the video so you'll see the, the image as I'm discussing that precise image in the previous videos there's just been a loop of footage but in this one I'm gonna try and, um, and match up what I'm saying with what I'm showing a bit better so um, one of the shots from the trailer from an immersion point of view now, this is a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a, I'd probably say, um, I wouldn't say that it's, I'd, I haven't seen it that often in films, interestingly, uh, I, I haven't seen that many uh, horror films, but the kind of, the time-honored uh, and a little bit stereotypical, but nevertheless very, very effective um, uh, baby's carriage or, you know, baby baby's tram, I'm not sure what it's called, I'm having a bit of an English fail with trying to remember the word, um, not a baby's trolley, I'll have to add an annotation for the word, completely forgotten, but um, the crying and the wailing and it's just sort of sitting there, what, what about that scenario doesn't sort of scream like I must see what's in that, uh, what's in the crib, uh, the crib on wheels or whatever it's called. It's a bit embarrassing that I forgot the word, but uh, we press on. Um, yeah, I I think that that's a great example of of the immersion of of what Bloodborne is bringing in terms of these like mini set pieces of of uh, you know without sacrificing gameplay. I've seen so much gameplay centric footage of Bloodborne. There's very few, in fact, the cutscenes when they come, they do feel a little bit out of place, you know, which. Um, is just basically a sign that it's sort of the the ying to the order 1886's yang and uh i think that it's you know for example using the latest trailer even though there are a bunch of cutscenes, and i mentioned it in the last video part two with the carriage and the um and sort of the the underslung photo um, of I, I posted some photos of it on the Tweety Gamer site because it was such an effective trailer. Um, the uh, you know the, some of those shots and including what I find to be one of the most intriguing shots, which I'll discuss a little bit. Um, there's a whole subject there with just how masterfully Bloodborne is doing its story, uh, building that intrigue of the story, which anything that 
an aspect of a game or a narrative or a story that just makes you lean in and want to want to discover. Immersion isn't achieved just through um, you know good writing or atmosphere. It's achieved through set pieces and through tapping into what we uh, what is a time-honored uh, tradition for stories that just generate that feeling of wanting to lean in and, and learn more and mystery has a lot to do with that and I, I believe um, Hidetaka is kind of the king of, of, of video game building mystery you know uh, building that mystery in, in his games absolutely um, so the shot of the um, the baby's carriages is definitely effective um, the dialogue that I that I heard from the blood administrator doctor was cryptic and intriguing and and like very immersive in that in that in its way there. But then, what was what was interesting about the trailer? I'm not sure if anyone noticed, but there was this interesting juxtaposition between the soundtrack and the sort of the shrieks and the moans and the fighting and the slicing, and then just in the background. It was either both. It was either the Doctor who was continuing his monologue from the start, you know, with the "We are born of the blood, unmade by the blood." That speech there, but the dialogue continued well into the trailer, and it's sort of to a kind of cryptic kind of whisper, which you literally couldn't hear. And I was wondering, could that have been? I'm sure it wasn't, but a part of me wondered: was this some kind of editing error? Um, you know the person who cut the trailer. What's what's the deal there? You know, but again, it's those mumbled whispers. What horror movie? What successful and immersive and and you know, I guess Roman Polanski is a great example with you know, uh, with his films. They, those are definitely films that make you want to lean in and um, you know Rosemary's Baby. <sighs> There's a very well-known shot in that film, which um, I think it was my father once he described to me the first the feeling of seeing. It. I think he saw it in the cinemas when it released. Um, there's a shot uh, in a in the house where there's something quite sinister happening. I won't spoil it, but there's a shot where the camera is just leaning just to the right of a doorway. To you know, and it's it's almost unbearable because you yourself, as the audience member, there's this lingering shot. I believe it may be of the child in the bed, and you can only see part of its crib visible. And my dad described the feeling of being in the cinema and just lean like he he looked back, he looked to his sides, he saw the whole cinema leaning, <laughs> as though they wanted to kind of crane over and just and just see what was happening in that crib. You know, see what was happening to the baby. Um, and I, I, you know, that's I definitely sort of burned an image in my head and, and helped me with my, my, you know, that's why this anecdote is so effective when I when I'm talking about um, sort of the equivalent happening with with games. I believe Bloodborne is doing it in spades, and not that aspect is not nearly as as extensively discussed as this kind of continuous like, will it be the savior as PS4? Will it this? Will it that? Instead of just discussing its merits, you know, as Tweety Gamers has been established to do, discussing its merits in a comprehensive way where the aim is to actually generate a richer experience through informing yourself and through immersing yourself in what basically gave birth to the game itself. I mean, if we're talking about the influence is all kind of converging from Hidetaka, from the rest of the staff. What what isn't intriguing about where this came from and, and what Bloodborne represents and it it's just something that it's again it, it feeds into why Tweety Gamer uh, was created. Tweety Gamer is essentially a, a channeling of what I personally believe about games and, and the interactive medium and I feel like um, there's a lot of merit uh, that, that isn't being articulated um, uh, nearly as much as these titles deserve and um, you know but anyway that's that's a little bit of a tangent which I'll possibly include more of my thoughts along that line of thinking and uh, that subject in a future video lots of future videos but um, 
I'll I'll head back into um, there was a another shot. There was a few shots that I found um, not just intriguing in and of themselves, but the tactic, the marketing, uh, the marketing rollout, the strategy of of From and Soft uh, and sorry Sony with with Bloodborne has been nothing short of just astounding. As we know, for a long stretch of time, the only sort of sights and sounds we got from the Bloodborne, you know, development staff, did sort of center around this one place in Yarnum, which was, you know, it, it feels like, especially knowing From's older games, uh, you know, the Dark Souls and Demon Souls and, and the sequel, uh, it's very, very likely that there will be, I, I think I saw a comment somewhere that said, you know, we've been shown 12, 12 to 15 uh, enemy types. And from software, especially, just in and of themselves, but especially with their next-gen next title, they are going to go well into the hundreds <laughs> of types of enemies, you know, which, which doesn't surprise me at all. Um, that this is how Bloodborne has developed intrigue and uh, an immersion in its marketing itself. Again, Roman Polanski making you lean in and pay attention. It's a it's a lost art, and it's it's achieved through tapping into what we as humans naturally do when there's mystery. We are prompted, or we're prompted into investigating. It's just it's an old old impulse, much older than anything. You know, it's a primal impulse, and um, um, you know. Uh, it's it's usually discussed in these terms definitely not in video analysis in video game analysis this is the terms that I'm discussing these things in is sort of the realm of psychology but if you have a cross-pollination of interests like me between games and sociology and anthropology and, and that that's what Tweety Game is about and um, if that intrigues you absolutely you've definitely come to the right place um, I'll just say this it might be a bit jarring but it was what I was going to build up to that giant, festering, flaccid pig that appears out of nowhere, and you don't know why it's so oversized. This is what Gustav Dorr did in his drawings, and I'll post a few here. Oh my god. This unexplainable, inexplicable gigantism of certain, you know, creatures and, and shapes, and, and Gustav Dorr did it with, um, with people's faces and the size of people's limbs, like there's just something, and it, you can even say that like things like Attack on Titan tap into it as well, but as soon as you just create, you take something known, you take something, this is what nightmares do as well, they take something that you've seen and that you experience on a day-to-day -day basis, like someone's hand, or someone's, uh, like a human being, or an animal, and there's just this, this uneasy, this kind of twisted warping that happens where either the object increases in size or it becomes warped. Like, I, I referenced to this in the previous video because the trailer had just come out and I'd only seen it so many times, but I've seen it a few more times now. And I apologize for my sniffle, by the way. I walked to work today and uh, got a bit of a mini cold, so I apologize. Um, there is one shot which while I'm speaking, there'll be um, this shot in question. Uh, I don't blame you for wanting to kind of look away and just be like, no, thank you. The hunter in this one shot in the trailer is backing away from this. It's sort of quadrupedal. It looks like a woman in a sort of, in like sort of heavy dress. And she's got sort of extended arms and there's nothing sort of particularly creepy about that in and of itself but this woman is on all fours sort of moving and like throwing her hands down one after the other crawling towards you in sort of the grudge style and her head this is as simple this is as effective as it can be you know we're going Budborn covers everything from subtle <laughs> horror to you know shrieks and sounds and creaking wood to giant flaccid nightmare pigs that will eat your head off you know like the pigs from spoiler alert Hannibal 2 that's ex you know imagine a Hannibal 2 or oh, sorry a Silence of the Lambs 2 which is the film Hannibal those pigs 
that level of just, you know, nightmarish. Uh, that, you know, pigs aren't classically nightmarish creatures associated with nightmares, but if you've seen an episode of um, uh, Deadwood, I believe there's a character who uses, or there are characters who take corpses to be eaten by pigs, and it is true that pigs will eat anything, so there is a there's a sinister side there. It's not immediately recallable. That's what, again, nightmares and Hidetaka do. They take, they take things that you wouldn't, uh, you know, initially place as scary, and then just give them a little twist. They do that. They also do classically terrifying things like lycanthropes and, and, and other sort of uh, like demons and 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 all that. They cover that too. But from also have this other spectrum to them, and. It is it is remarkable that that monster. There were just some extravagant, some terrifying, like rippling, flesh flaccid, flapping everywhere, crazy, and yet the most effective monster that I still like. You know, there are certain films and and series and games that there's just a burning image. I can't get that image out of my head. That is only a trailer. That is only a few seconds, and I just see this. You know the, the 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 hunter moving back, like stepping back. You know, one thing that you know the Bloodborne character, the character model doesn't look. You know, uh, it's the detail is is just so that you can you know it doesn't reveal much. He's got his you know his face covered, and I'm not sure what the facial animations will will do. Like we haven't seen many unmasked characters, although I I believe the mask might be necessary because of the infection, and so then possibly all characters will need to wear masks. But anyway, the the fact that you know we can't see sort of any kind of terrified expression is because we're moving backwards and his sort of back is to the camera, and just that creature, that sort of snapped neck, you know, crawling, approaching woman with with that thump, you know, those thumping hands, just coming towards you, it's just genuinely spine tingling. Like that of all of the of all of the scenes uh, was in that trailer was the most just because it was so it was the most terrifying because it was so unexplained and uh, again if I suppose I'll give my my final shout out to it and I'll include another link in the description of this video and I'd be very keen to hear what any of you thought of the PDF but I'm referring to the Bloodborne an interactive nightmare PDF where. I might make a separate video of just me describing Bloodborne the Interactive Nightmare. It won't be definitely an hour long or anything, but I might just extract that from the PDF because it is something I would like a few of you to hear and um, to sort of have your thoughts on it. Um, the idea that we could, you know, in, at least in broad terms, ostensibly describe Bloodborne as a essentially a nightmare simulator, really. You know, um, it's got the the obviously the gameplay mechanics that that. Um, and the RPG mechanics, which do add a kind of uh, sort of a technical side to it, and you know stats building and all that, which nightmares don't have. Nightmares defy defy that completely. And um, if we're looking for a straight up nightmare uh, simulator, we can look at things like PT, you know, the Silent Hills teaser. That um, that that I would consider that a nightmare simulator as well. But with that being as short as it was. And as limited as it was, um, that's not how nightmares work. Nightmares can go in any direction, and Bloodborne is is more indicative of that. There's there's going to be experiences in in Bloodborne, which I'm, I'm I'm now I'm quite certain with how with how effectively they've been in, in keeping their secrets from software. These just genuine surprises coming out almost once every day, and I know that we only have about a week left, and there's only so much they can reveal that's left to reveal, um, and uh, each one just keeps building intrigue, keeps building immersion, causing people to immerse, uh, immerse themselves into the world. Um, and another testament I'll, I'll mention to Bloodborne's immersion is is these videos. I believe that considering 2D Gamer is just an, a sort of a nascent channel, um, that Bloodborne's the, the sort of the, the swelling of intrigue of Bloodborne. This is why I chose it to be my first um, series because I myself I have am a part of that. I, I I've lent my you know I've 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 thrown myself in with that the the, the intrigue and 
and that's why you know Tweety Gamer became an outlet for that and a place where people can share um, at least this sphere. You know, there's a lot of people simply single ha single mindedly intrigued about the gameplay, um, and and you know also getting caught up in that marketing. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing. It's like it, it is what uh, certain titles need and certain platforms, you know, uh, in across history you've you've seen. Uh, we we know that at the at the birth of a new platform, there is usually one game that people the people are, are are going around wanting to just hold one of those games' hands right up and say this is our champion, and um, that's also happening to Bloodborne, which is the source of Hidetaka's. Uh, you know he's quite a tweedy guy, quite an introverted guy, and he's he's probably not prepared for that. And he's confided in uh, uh, during the I think the um, the Jewel Shock, Jewel Shocker's article. You can see that he's just super nervous, and that is something he wasn't expecting. And he's just constantly saying that look, the main aim was to create uh, a memorable and, and well put together game. And he's a notoriously humble and modest man, so I think um, in my, in Tweety Gamer's personal opinion, you know, of this channel, I can say on behalf of it that, uh, at least as at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, Bloodborne is that title. That's just my private, you know, personal belief, and um, it obviously we'll wait, and I don't want to jinx it, obviously, because it'll be judged on its merits, just as everything is in here on Tweety Gamer. I do have my... Um, my passion, uh, my passion um, titles, the ones that have, as I mentioned, I keep mentioning the journey and the order as, as great examples. A lot of reviewers gave one of them, you know, quite high scores, you know, journey and then the other, um, the order again, as we discussed, as I discussed in the first video, lower scores for the length and for the, uh, the promise of, the promise of what it was and what it was is a 10 out of 10 experience for me. It's not something that, that's a subjective score, obviously, um, but I had been following The Order 1886 for almost longer than Bloodborne, and the initial idea was to debut the channel with The Order 1886 content, but, um, but Bloodborne um, has built up for me um, naturally after I played um, The Order 1886 and I've written some reviews for that and those will be finding publication and uh, content in videos um, in the future but there is a taking into account what's happening right now and being current with where the sort of anticipation and the re and the early buzz of the blo of Bloodborne is going it's something that I found myself being uh, you know, responding to and wanting to, um, wanting to discuss and, and explore, and, and there was that impetus that I decided to follow in creating these videos. So, um, so, in we've sort of discussed so far in, in sort of uh, we've sort of jumped between them, the the immersion and the franchise future. We've discussed po mostly immersion so far. I'll flick back towards. Um, discussing the franchises, um, it does sort of, it did sort of dovetail into what I was talking about. We sort of landed on the note of early buzz and and what IGN is saying and what Kotaku is saying and I, what I believe it was either Forbes or Business Insider or something was saying that in 2015, you know, um, Bloodborne the savior of 2015 uh, of, of of PlayStation. Um, for my part, I believe that Bloodborne absolutely, without a doubt, has a great potential as a franchise. Not something that is being discussed this early, but I'm, I'm happy to dedicate a fair bit to it here because it, it's reflective and it's a testament to my, uh, my belief in the title and my belief in, in the team and, and, and the potential of the idea and, and, and also as a credit to Hidetaka for, for developing it into what he did and, and where it's come from inside him. Like you can tell, um, you know, using what Travis pointed out to me, uh, the YouTube commenter I mentioned, I'll, um, you know, I can, I can either put a screenshot uh, of what he said, I might do that in this video so that you can see what he, what he suggested, but you can see that in even in the Bloodborne theme, one thing that it's almost to Hidetaka Miyazaki's fault 
to a fault. The man is modest. He doesn't raise. Uh, he doesn't sort of draw attention to all these little nuggets that he does of you know implants these references and all the proof that this project is essentially a great passion project for him. That's being quite uh, uh, quite quite greatly understated for me. So, um, but you can tell that this, the, where Bloodborne has come from for, and I discussed this in the very first video, uh, about it, the whole thing beginning with the man himself. Hidetaka, with his, you know, ascendancy to becoming president and, and to gaining this, um, this repute, this reputation, and this license, this creative license to develop more and more personal ideas, I mean, uh, by going from Demon Souls to Dark Souls and, and and you know, I believe unintentionally he just wanted again everything he's encountered in terms of success. Uh, he's very, he's definitely got his head, you know, screwed very firmly onto his shoulders and his feet on the ground. He's a very grounded guy. He simply made these titles to be great quality, you know, have a lot of replayability and just something to be proud of. And if you by focusing on that, quite simply. All of his success, all of this talk about him being one of the most influential games developers, all that, he recognizes that that is a side effect. It's just something that happens, you know, as a, you know, as a as a pretty welcome, and it's a, sort of a bonus that that's happened. But that's just the nature of the man, and I believe he has a, a mind and a heart full of uh, secrets and and plans, you know. And I, I think if a Bloodborne sequel were to come about. It would not go down the route of Dark Souls 2, which from our very, uh, they definitely listen to their supporters and to their community, um, because there are a number of things in Bloodborne which seem to have been changed, um, you know, in a, a, not like as an outright sort of reactively changing according to, you know, fan feedback. In fact, there are some things which they've completely just kept their integrity and they've done something completely different and they're very unapologetic about it but there are some things that have been that have come back uh, to to Bloodborne that were left behind in Bloodborne 2 and um, it's in definitely probably predominantly came from the developers opinion of themselves and, and recognizing themselves that these issues needed to be fixed but also it's without a doubt uh, um, from software are in tune and they're receptive to their community. Um, Bloodborne 2, which I don't think they they may go down that route of simply calling it Bloodborne 2 with the two IIs, or maybe giving it a subtitle. Uh, I believe evocative subtitles like Scholar of the First Sin are amazing, and I think sequels should have subtitles instead of um, just two two digits, you know. Or, two eyes to denote two or three eyes for three etc I think there's um, there's a great there's a great um, a, a possible there's a great opportunity to create flavor and, and variety with with adding a very evocative subtitle and um, you, I guess you could use the Empire Strikes back as as, as, an, as an example initially that that was simply called it, it was implied that it was Star Wars. In the early marketing Star Wars for The Empire Strikes Back, the Star Wars was simply a small little slither in the logo, and the title of the film itself was The Empire Strikes Back. And nomenclature, which is just sort of how things are named, is surprisingly determinative of um, the reception of a title. It's It's such a basic thing that that I often get sort of strange looks for discussing in such an ex extended way. It's like, that's just a name. What's what's the big deal? Why are you talking about it so much? Well, names are incredibly important. What things are named is whether we like it or not. We, we form judgments without even willing it. It's something unconscious that happens with people, with humans. We form judgments um, automatically, and it's not our fault, it's just how we're wired, and we can say what we want about how, oh, I'm not a judgmental person or whatever, but judgments take place unconsciously against, you know, you know, without without thinking about it, it's just what happens. And um, this, you know, this is kind of an iffy example, but the Twilight films, when they went from Twilight to the Twilight Saga, dot dot, etc, etc that 
made it feel franchisey. It made it feel like here's another entry. Thanks for your money. Here you go. And there is there is a, a hidden art to um, there's a, a something that's very much worth exploring um, for for content creators and, and media and film and everything by cre just simply deciding to be bold and creating a different title, a different title for each one. And I believe um, Bloodborne will get a direct sequel. Um, either set in the same time period or uh, sometime after um, but it will be a different title they'll just be they'll be possibly you know somewhere little just like with the Empire Strikes Back poster there'll be a little reference to you know, uh, you know possibly it could be within the title frankly but the idea is that for example when we refer to Empire Strikes Back we don't say Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back we simply say Empire Strikes Back, or sometimes we even just say Empire, you know, oh yeah, I remember Empire, you know, so I think something quite similar, uh, it's just some, just a hunch that I have for, for where Bloodborne is heading, you know, and um, now, in terms of uh, the story itself, <laughs> that's something where I can only talk very, 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 um, very limited what I can say uh, about that, um, knowing almost zero of the story of and certainly nothing certain because I haven't played it yet of the you know of Bloodborne itself but providing this is very vague and very shaky but providing the story is about your character navigating Yharnam discovering its secrets and coming to some big revelation um, there may be something at the end of Bloodborne which literally implies that Bloodborne has changed, or the fabric of Yharnam has changed, uh, based on your discoveries and the sort of um, sort of chain of events that you cause um, to to occur during the narrative. And this is this has happened in a few titles, I think. Um, you know that direct sequels. Uh, there's a sort of iffy example again would be Devil May Cry. Um, from the first to the second, it does follow a, just a traditional sequel. It takes place a few years later I believe and um, the state of the world is as a consequence of what happened in the first title and just early literally the earliest speculation I might even be the only person speculating about um, in a YouTube video at least about Bloodborne's sequel you know um, there's something that there's something that I feel because of how amazingly sort of mind-blowing and and uh, you know, revelatory the the twists of, of Miyazaki's games like in the Soul series, something tells me that at the end of Bloodborne, something very big will happen either night, either, either Yana will enter you know, a further stage of corruption and, and, and decrepitude and, and possibly the gates of hell could like you know, burst open even further, or we could get an entire other city which I think uh, the Resident Evil um, titles did that. I think there was a, some Raccoon City-based ones, and then there were other, other places, other locales where that happened. And it's still within the same universe, but allows for a different story to be told and allows for a different context. That would be intriguing as well, um, definitely. And, and there could be references made to the first title. But um, anyway, I definitely won't overstay my welcome with this subject because I don't... I want to minimize the amount of uh, people saying, what are you doing, Speculate, speculating this early about a sequel. I'll just say it again, I'll reiterate that it is simply as a testament to how I feel the title is doing in this early buzz. It happens all the time with films that, um, that when it's the early buzz is going well, a sequel is, is announced. I think that happened with uh, Jurassic World recently. It's The film is still three months from release, and a couple of weeks ago, the sequel was announced. It was confirmed. Several uh, Marvel projects, um, that's what happens with those as well. So, in my own sort of personal uh, way, uh, you know, knock wood, um, that's what I feel as though is going to happen for Blood Mode. And, um, I am already looking forward to like the hunter sort of entering that tradition of um, uh, platform specific uh, mascots I think he has all the, the makings of a, of a great mascot and I, I can see the plushies already in my mind's eye I can see the t-shirts and 
again, when I talk about this merchandising, Star Wars is a great example. The integrity of that story, the artistic integrity of, of that universe is never compromised despite the intense amount of marketing and the intense amount of merchandising. And we've seen a few early things. We've got the maquette. I believe that's coming. I really should know this, but I think it's coming in October. I'll find that reference and I will screen capture it and I'll be able to share that with you in this kind of this this video. As I mentioned, that's what 2D gamer videos are. They're sort of gazettes of compiled news and sort of relayed to you by yeah, your friend, Tweety Gamer, basically. That's that's the idea. The maquette. And then we also have I myself will definitely be getting a t-shirt. I think there's some I would love the Cleric Beast t-shirt, which you see the producer wearing. Uh, it's very envious of that one. And I, but I don't I don't definitely don't go too far into the mass buying of things. Um, apart from what happened with the order, which I've I've since as I mentioned in the first video corrected, I've uh, you know, I've only got the two editions now, which is fine, but even when you'll see, you'll see actually the upcoming content with Tweety Gamer. I'll be doing some live interviews in my room. I am not, my. you can't even tell from my room that I'm this immersed into interactive media at all. I'm, if you've been able to gather anything from these videos, it's something I'm intensely interested in, and yet I don't, you know, I don't, it's not, it doesn't push me to the stage of needing to get all the the posters and the and the statues and all that it's just it's about what the medium is doing creatively and in terms of being just a worthwhile innovative engaging development in technology entertainment and and storytelling absolutely and education as well absolutely especially with project morpheus um yarnum in morpheus <laughs> need i say more i don't think it'll happen but um there you go just an instant idea right there um so anyway let's dial it back so uh, as you can probably tell um the franchise prospect for bloodborne just based on the f the past minute or so and that happened completely naturally i just started openly getting excited and speculating about um what could pave the way towards a sequel and, and what's absolutely without a shadow of doubt sure to happen from the merchandising point of view bloodborne will get it, it its share of figures it will get its share of um, I don't see anything like a lunchbox happening, although that could be pretty terrifying to have a cleric beast lunchbox <laughs> that shrieks every time you open it. It's like, stay away from my sandwiches. I don't think that'll happen, but you know, anything in Japan, hashtag anything in Japan, really. But um, that is, there are good portents, there are good vibes with that, so I, I think that's, um, there are good omens, is what I'm referring to there. So. Um, now, just to, to dovetail, I've got a, a few more minutes to discuss the channel. Um, before I head on to that, I'll just say, look, this is this was part three, the final part of the Bloodborne uh, preview and analysis as kind of channeled and funneled through me. I don't aim to be a comprehensive source. I'm not a journalistic in my delivery. This is just, I'm your that guy, that, that pal of yours who sort of investigates things and has these views about them and sort of is immersed into the interactive medium from this point of view and hey if you find this stuff intriguing it's essentially what I'm thinking about and uh, you know researching and putting you know research together for naturally that's something that happens to me naturally or that I find myself doing uh, occupying myself with naturally so that's what this this content is um, but anyway uh, um, yeah, that's that's basically the, the the final part of this one. Now the next video will be the next video series um, will be a three-part series uh, of The Witcher: Wild Hunt, where I'll be discussing in a similar fashion. I'll be discussing what that title is doing with its um, with its universe, what what's definitely what's in store for it in the future. Even though again, it purports to be the last in the series, I think. Andrei Sapkowski's um, um, his universe, which predates Game of Thrones, by the way, it is the Slavic precursor to Game of Thrones, and the the notion of a mature, sort of sex-filled and controversy-filled and and grounded, mature dark fantasy um, world. That's Andrei Sapkowski was doing that before, with all respects to. 
uh, George R. R. Martin was doing that before the publication date, at least, of Game of Thrones. Um, and his, uh, that, that will be discussed openly. There's over at Tweety Gamer now, there is a kind of a sort of, I dumped the PDF for the content of those videos. To some extent, I just put that in a large post. A lot of the website issues with Tweety Gamer are going to be looked into, and some of the articles, the old ones, that the content disappeared for them. I'll be um, um, managing those and making sure that uh, people aren't clicking on articles and there's nothing coming up. So the idea is to have, by the end, I think in a few um, months' time, uh, as again, I'm sort of from a behavioral point of view and an energy, a social energy point of view, I, I have the um, the sort of uh, the energy level of a senior citizen. I might be, you know, 26 and have tattoos and everything, but I'm very deliberate, very kind of um, methodical in in the, the way I do things. And I, I, I'm in no rush, absolutely, as you can tell with these long podcasts. And I... Uh, I really enjoy just sharing that very honest part of myself here so that people can um, uh, tune into that and resonate with that and uh, make of it what they will. So I'm very grateful that uh, um, there's been some response there. And um, absolutely, as you may, that's uh, a Tweety Gamer thing, is just as you may, whatever you enjoy here. I'm glad that you do. Speaking of which, um, there won't just be these hour-long videos. There will be... Um, shorter videos that I will be reading from some of the material that I've written about several titles including The Witcher and Bloodborne which and The Order 1886 which I'll be releasing um, some uh, not webcam they'll be a slightly better quality than the introductory video uh, which was just shot off my iPhone with the forward-facing camera can you believe it but uh, there'll be a bit better quality there, just me discussing and reading, um, with accompanied by some video. Absolutely, uh, some of the um, some of the writing that I've done, and I've referred to it here um, with the PDFs that I make, and I make I, I enjoy the art of sort of making these publications, these just for my personal use. It'll it'll be something that I'll be doing with Metal Gear Solid. I can give you a few titles that they, that will be getting the three-part treatment, and please sound off in the comments below about what excites you and what you're looking forward to. It's just stuff again that is going to naturally is um, showing signs really of being something that I'll be naturally doing. It's sort of just a forecast of uh, what I'm going to be um, looking into in the same way as these three-part videos, and they are um, Final Fantasy XV. Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain, The Last Guardian, Abzu by That Game Company, That Game Company's next game, when that does come out, and definitely Silent Hills as well, and as discussed, The Witcher and The Order, so those are, oh, definitely Battlefront as well, so those are a few that you can um, begin to look forward to getting the same treatment, and um, I'll be happy to hear from you about what your inputs and uh, as Trevor did with this one, if you have anything off the bat you want me to include, I'm happy to credit you in the video itself and um, and sort of make you part of this community. That's what Tweety Gamer aims to be, is to have that general feeling of, oh, someone else thinks this way as well. That's really great. Here's a place where I can hang out. That's exactly the place. So uh, that Tweety Gamer um, uh, aims to be, or exists to be rather. Anyway, um, look, I've, I've had one of the, the most um, sort of revealing experiences making these videos. Um, I think I'm, I'm as, as well as the music that I've added to this and the kind of gradual incremental increase in production quality that I'll be applying to the videos, um, it's something that I'm really looking forward to developing naturally with you guys and with your input. And, um, and the aim is for those featured channels that I have um, to communicate with them and have them involved and, and especially Yongyeo and uh, the game theorists who are all very kindred to Tweety Gamer and um, I also hope you've been enjoying my ending screen captures of these films just to give an explanation they're great old films that I think kind of live in my soul that's how sort of close to me they are and um, 
a bit of an eclectic um, breed, is what I refer to both this channel and myself. It's something that I'm happy to celebrate with you all. I'd like you to do the same with me. Anyway, I've been Tweety Gamer, and uh, thank you for coming to this video, and like, subscribe, and share as you may. Bye now.